0: so we're in this series and we're talking about more you know more meaningful ways of being stuck there's this there's this way that we find ourselves in situations where we're like how do I move forward how do I get out of this and it's life situations and it's relationships and it's it's emotional stuff and it's uh it's spiritual stuff and it's all of this I believe that God has a way out of that for us and and, uh I think that we can see it by looking at stories of Jesus and how he interacts with people. And so what we've been doing in this series, we're taking a look at stories with people in the Bible who interact with Jesus and how Jesus offered them what we're calling keys to being unstuck. Uh, Last week, I reminded you of that custodian from your high school days. You remember that guy who had the big ring of keys and he just walked down the hall like ching, ching, ching. He's got all these keys because this dude can get into any door in the school. No problem. In fact, if he can't get in with a key, he will use bolt cutters or he'll kick the door down because that's his job. His job is to be able to get access to all of these different places and do what needs to be done as a custodian. And I think that is the truth about Jesus. Jesus has this ability to kick down, unlock, and open up any door that he needs us to be in. And he can also put us in secure places. Where when we found ourselves stuck and away from him, he can pull us back in and say, you're okay. And so our goal is to kind of collect for ourselves, kind of proverbially, uh, a ring of keys, uh, proverbial ring of keys that, uh, that can help us be unstuck. And so here's the deal. Just like the custodian, he's the one guy who can get you into all the places. Jesus is the one key. But throughout that, I think he really customizes his impact with each one of us. And whatever we're going through, he's got something for that, And so today we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, uh, every week we love to look to the Bibles for answers to life's most important questions. And so grab a Bible if you've got one. We do have free ones that we give away if you want to grab one in the lobby, either now or as you leave. Everybody needs a good readable version of the Bible. Or use an app on your phone. We're going to be in John chapter 4. John is a biography of Jesus' life. There are four of them in the Bible. John is one of them. And uh, we were in John last week actually as well. We'll be in John chapter 4. And what we're going to do is zoom into this encounter that Jesus has with a woman who is totally stuck. We're actually going to find that she's stuck in a couple of different ways. And so as we jump into her story this morning, let's just kind of uh, find out where Jesus is. This is in John chapter 4, starting in verse 4 through verse 5, talking about Jesus. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Noon. And so we've got Jesus, and he's on this trip. Uh, He lived in this region, uh, kind of modern-day Palestine, and there were two major sections that he spent a lot of time in. Galilee is up in the northern region. Judea is down in the southern region. But in between, there's kind of this area that's not strictly speaking a Jewish region and this is an area very divided by uh, nationality, ethnicity. The middle region was called Samaria and there's a lot of history and backstory there. I won't get into that today but as Jesus is crossing through this area we're going to see that some of that tension actually comes up in some of their conversation and he stops by this well. Now, Jacob's well was a very famous well. It's kind of a landmark. And so as you're going along, it's like for us, okay, go down to Trader Joe's turn left. That's what we would say. They'd say, well, you're going to go back down to uh, Jacob's well. And then from there, this is what you're going to do. In verse seven, though, we meet the leading lady of the story. And this lady, she's got a past, kind of shady past, kind of questionable past. And she expects nothing like what's about to happen as she runs into Jesus at this well. Let's just keep reading verse seven. We're going to read all the way through verse 15. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews, did not associate with the Samaritans as that kind of weird history. There was some racism going on there, and a lot of stuff that was going on with those with those two people groups. In verse ten, Jesus answered her, "Well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water." Sir, the woman said, "You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water?" I Picture her doing the air quotes. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, well, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I almost, I just detect just a little bit of attitude when she says that. I walk here every day and get water. You're trying to tell me, yeah, water. Let's talk about water. Water is such an important part of survival, isn't it? I mean, it is huge. I just recently finished reading a book called Unbroken uh, by a lady named H- Laura Hildebrand. Uh, it tells the story of Louis Zamperini. He was first famous for being an Olympic runner in the 1930s. That has a whole story to it. But then uh, uh, World War Two started, and he signed up to be in the Army Air Corps. He started working as a bombardier with a bombing squad on the West Coast. And so w- the short story, because I don't want to spoil the book. you got to read this book, Unbroken. It's a really good book. There's a movie that recently came out about it too. But read the book first, because you're better than that. Um, we... <laughs> We, uh, he, he's out on this one of these missions, and his plane goes down, and he ends up stranded in the Pacific Ocean, and he's stuck there. And so, a chunk of the book talks about his stuckness, being a castaway at sea. And check this out: Louis Samparini spends 47 days stuck on a raft, not much bigger than his body. And he talks about man, just the. Man, he says, it starts to hallucinate. He's imagining things. He's seeing things. He's hearing things. He's doing crazy things. And he just talks about how thirsty he was, that he just wanted to die. Now, he was able to survive so long because occasionally a little rainstorm would come by and he would collect a little bit of water like in, in, a, in a little cup he had or a little section he made out of some of his raft. And, but man, just enough to get him through the next storm, he's like, I just, I hope I just don't make it. You know, <laughs> like I'm, This is getting terrible. I can't imagine being that thirsty, so thirsty that you just would rather be dead, so thirsty that you're hallucinating. Over 50% of our body mass is made up of, of water. And though a human can survive like 21 days, three weeks without food, most people can't survive much more than a week without water. Water is crucial to our survival. And so that's why this well is so vital to this area. It's important for Jesus. He's been on a long journey. It's about a three-day walk from where he was to where he was going. And so, of course, he stopped off. It was a rest stop to get some water. And this woman, it was important to her in her lifestyle. She was coming here. Why? to get water. And so Jesus and this woman have this kind of quippy conversation. And I love the way it goes there. She's like, he's like, Hey ma'am, could you get me some water? And at first she's like, uh, notice that you're a Jew and I'm a a Samaritan. This isn't okay. But you didn't bring a bucket. So how's that going to work for you? And he was like, well, you know, I'm glad you asked because I don't need no stinking bucket. (laughs) That's kind of how it went in my mind. And then he goes on to explain this thing that he calls living water. You look back at verse 13 everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water i give them will never thirst indeed the water i give them will well in them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life and he you can tell he's kind of crossing from the physical into something different i'm not just talking about water i'm not just talking about quenching your thirst it's actually pretty deep stuff. And, and the woman doesn't get it right away. Just like when you first read it through the first time, you're like, it's living water? Like, swelling welling up inside me as a spring of life, living water? I don't understand what this is. But he's offering something that can't be got in this world. Something that can't be drawn from a well from underground. Something that only God can give. This deep, internal, spiritual quenching. You know what I mean? You ever been just thirsty? Spiritually thirsty? emotionally thirsty, relationally thirsty, and you're just like, oh, this, this just isn't right. Something's not right with the world. Well, this woman was not expecting this deep conversation today. She was not expecting it with a Jewish man at the well today. She was not expecting it at all. And so Jesus kind of changes the subject a little bit, and he keeps going. We're going to keep reading the story a little bit in verse 16. Uh, I love how he just kind of changes gears so fast. He, this is talking about Jesus, told her, well, go and call your husband and come back. And I just imagine, especially if you've heard this story before, you kind of know what's coming. I just imagine this brief but very pregnant pause where she's just like, what? And what she says is, I have no husband. Jesus says, well, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. So what you said is quite true. And now, so apparently there's some background here and we're not going to get into all that. There's been some speculation as to why this lady's had so many husbands and what's going on in her life that's caused all this. But let's just let it suffice to say that like her Facebook relationship status would be, it's complicated. Like that's what's going on with her. And so Jesus, he's like, I understand that. But this is what I really like about this lady. She's not offended. She's like, how dare you? How dare you? She does she's not offended at all. She's actually pretty impressed. In verse 19, she says, wow, sir, I can see that you're a prophet which I got to give her credit, is a pretty astute observation because Jesus is very much more than just a regular dude. He's got something else going on there. So she says, I can see there's something special about you. You shouldn't have known that about me. How did you know? And so for the next few verses, she goes into this line of questioning with Jesus. Once she thinks that he's a prophet, she's got some religious questions. And I think that is interesting because that's often how we deal with life we avoid the real issues and we want to talk about religion and politics. And she's like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I got this thing going. But listen, I got some questions. But she does. And it's good, it's good material. Uh, she wants to talk about how the Jews worship God in Jerusalem at the temple and how the Samaritans worship God on this mountaintop. And she's like, you know, which one is it? Which one's it going to be? Um, and Jesus answers her and it's really good stuff. That's not the meat for today. This is actually not going to be one of our keys for freedom, though it could be if you want to read some more into it later. But I totally recommend that you go back and listen to our podcast. Uh, that was the topic of our sermon on New Year's. Day uh, 2017, it's on our podcast, and we talked about that concept of the place of worship, and what does that mean? And you might remember the box with the light inside, anybody remember that? And so if you miss that day, go back and you can get some more meat on that section. But here's the point, that while she's spending this time talking to Jesus about this deep spiritual stuff and about worship, she starts to gain some trust in Him, and some respect in Him, and after this deep spiritual com- conversation, the woman starts to have this realization, and, she, and you see it kind of come out in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. The Jews had this long-standing kind of agreement. And the Samaritans, by faith, were almost Jewish. They used Jewish, their, their ancestry was Jewish. They used uh, Jewish scripture. It's just there was kind of a racial ethnic thing dividing them there. But she's like, I know that Messiah, called Christ, and that's a word that means you know, the, the chosen one, the anointed one of God, is coming. And when he comes he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus says, this has got to be one of Jesus's greatest one-liners. Then Jesus declared, well, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This conversation has gone a long way. Like we started out, Jesus was like, hey, can you get some water? Let me get a drink of water. And then he ends with, by the way, I'm the Messiah, the chosen one of God. Like, that's a And if you had that conversation with one of the people standing on the side of the road somewhere in Wilmington today, you'd be like, all right, how about we just go Chick-fil-A and I'll grab you some lunch. Is that okay? Like, cause this is weird, but there's something about Jesus that happens in these moments where it's not, she is just convinced of who he is. I have found that God has this weird way of doing this in our lives that this woman showed up at the well and she was just there to get water and she had her own baggage and her own business and Jesus just shows up. And I have found that God shows up in my life at the most unexpected, many times in my perspective, the most unopportune times. And I'm like, oh, there you are, God. And, th- and that's kind of what's going on with her. But what's critical to understand is that this conversation with Jesus changes everything about this lady. See, something about this woman is interesting because in the grand scheme of things, in the billions and billions of people who have walked the face of this earth, she's not a very significant person. It's not personal. It's just that she's, I mean, she's not like a world leader. She's not going to change a whole lot of things. She's not, at this point in her life, she's just a lady getting water in a third world country. And there are countless ladies getting water in third world countries all over the world, right? But something happens in this conversation that shifts something in her brain. Jesus changes her, and she's going to do something that's going to make her, it's going to shift her from being this kind of a no name person to someone that we're talking about her forever now. (laughs) She makes a change and she does a thing. And this is what it is, verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and she said to the people there, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I imagine her message was a little longer than that. John gives us the abbreviated version. And so this is what happens in verse 30. They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Hold that thought because... This is where we're going to get into today's keys for finding freedom when we're stuck and how to get unstuck. I think it begins by seeing exactly how this lady was stuck and then seeing how she moved past it. Uh, and I think there's a few clues in this conversation that as I read through it, I really dug in, had some good conversation with some people over the last couple of weeks about this passage and, and pulled out what I believe are two really good things. But it begins with a couple of clues that Jesus drops while he's having this conversation. The first clue was the fact that it was the middle of the day and this lady was all alone. This is a clue. And we wouldn't notice in our modern day culture because when we want water, we go to the sink and we pull up the tap or we go get a bottle and we open it up. That's how we get water. But in this lady's culture, Fetching water was a community event. still is in cultures today where people go get water. It's a community event. So the people of the town, normally women and children, but other people who are able, would meet early in the morning. They'd have all the jugs and containers that they could find, and they would meet while it was still cool early in the day, and then they would make their trek to the watering place. They would fill up, and they would come home. And along the way, they're having community. They're laughing, and they're playing, and they're keeping an eye on each other's kids, and they're talking about what's going on in the town. This is a community event. But where do we find this lady? In the middle of the day, not the cool of the morning, and is she with the people and she with everybody else? She's all by herself. And so that's a clue. It's just a clue. It's not the answer to the question, but it's a clue. And then Jesus kind of has a second clue, which I think uh, kind of goes with this question. Why is she alone? Well, why not? Why didn't she go? Did she sleep in? Did she forget to turn her alarm clock on? Like, was there no rooster near her house? Like, why didn't she go early? I think it has something to do with Jesus's little question he has. This is the second clue he offers, which is kind of this, let's talk about your husband. Let's talk about that. Um, Jesus mentions these previous marriages, and I'm not sure why she has so many husbands. I told you people have speculated about it. Maybe she wasn't faithful. Uh, I think that's often where people go immediately, blame it on the woman. But that's, I know more men, you know, so it's like, maybe it was him. (laughs) So like, that could have been the case. Uh, Maybe she was a widow at least once. How tragic would it be if she was a widow five times? You know, like, man, she's got a lot going on. It could have been that. It could have been a lot of things. Maybe she was running from an abusive situation. I don't know. They don't tell us. Middle Eastern culture is a culture of hospitality. Like, if you just take a survey of Middle Eastern culture, uh, it's hospitality is high on the list. And so one thing that they really do is take care of each other. But it's also a culture of of honor and shame. And so, like, we're going to take care of you until you cross a certain line. And once you enter into shame town, like it's hard to earn that back. And so if whatever happened with her husband's situation, what we can deduce from all this is that it led to her separation from people. And so she's in this place. And I don't think it's a coincidence that John includes that detail in the story because I think no matter why she had this long list of husbands, I think it led to her aloneness in society. I want to talk about being alone for just a minute. Have you ever felt stuck like this? Who do I go to? Who do I ask my questions to? Who do I cry? Whose shoulder do I cry on? You know, who do I call and in our culture we're we're stuck in a lot of loneliness. Mother Teresa, um, most of you probably heard of her. She was a, a Catholic nun who did so much great humanitarian work throughout the world. She spent a lot of time in Calcutta, India, where she worked among leper colonies. And she went there to bring dignity to these people who were outcasts of society. And She came to bring them the hope of Jesus in the process, hoping that just even in your bad situation, you can know that God loves you. And she says this, uh, even in the midst of working in some of the most poor, poverty-stricken conditions in the world with these people who were in, had ailments that were taking their lives. Mother Teresa says, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. Not the disease, not the being kind of put to the edges of society. I mean, you kind of get that. It's okay. I don't want my family to get sick. I want to be pulled away from society, but it's this feeling of being unloved, of being worthless, of being cast away. This Samaritan lady, she was kind of double stuck. And there's more stuckness than just two ways. But she she was stuck because of her past. And so, like, man, I don't know what's going on with her personal life. I hope that this new guy that was in her life was a good guy. Like, I don't know. She was a real person. Like, we're trying to really think about this thing. Like, this lady, she was stuck in that way. But maybe more so, she was stuck in loneliness. She had no one. She had nowhere to go. Like so many others, maybe she'd given up hope. I think that's where we find ourselves and we don't know where to turn and what to do. And so just like I said, I want to take a second talk about loneliness. Maybe that's you today on some level, maybe fully, maybe partially. And I think it's more of us than we're willing to admit. Maybe for you, it's because of a past event event or circumstance. Maybe it's you just feel alone and you can't explain it. Maybe just coming to church for you is difficult because you just, I don't know, I want to make friends, but I don't know how to reach out. And then we, uh, we, we go through this thing in our head. But I don't think I'm being overly dramatic when I say that I think that our culture has a loneliness problem. We've got an aloneness problem, and in many ways, we've done it to ourselves. One time, uh, a, a different time, Mother Teresa, back to her again, she said this, Loneliness is the leprosy of the West. By the way, we live in the West. Western culture is like European in this way. And she's like, of all the poverty and all the pain that I've seen in this world, when I look at the West, the poverty that I see, the leprosy that I see is loneliness. It hurts. There was a time when our grandparents used to sit on their front porch and sip tea and rock in rocking chairs and talk to their neighbors over their white picket fence. And today, if we have a fence, it's a privacy fence. And we don't know our neighbors' names. And it's systemic. It goes throughout all the different parts of our lives. We're probably inside, more likely, binge-watching Netflix or scrolling through our friend list on Facebook, people who, by the way, you haven't probably spoken to recently, and it's possible today to stand in a room full of people like this, or a larger room, being an azalea fest with tens of thousands of people, yet feel completely alone. And so I think that we have an issue in our society. And so if any of that strikes a chord with you today, I, I want you to tune into the rest of the story because um, Jesus is going to speak into the life of this Samaritan woman. She knew the feeling of being alone of being unloved, of being outcast, of not knowing who to call on, who to talk to. She also knew the pain of her past, isolating her from that. So maybe that's the piece that you kind of hold on to. And that past was isolating her from a brighter future. But then she met Jesus and something came alive in her. Did you catch what she did? Verse 28, she left her water jar. Why did she come to the well? To get water. She left her water jar. Like I do that, but it's because I'm absent-minded. She does it because she's like, This is not important right now. And she runs into town and she says, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And whatever she said to them convinced them. And it might not jump out at you right away immediately. It didn't for me. But do you see this transition that happened? This lonely, rejected, shame-filled, isolated woman who's been avoiding her village who went to this extra level to go by herself in the middle of the day to get water, she's like throwing off all of that and she's going into the village to the very people that she's been trying to avoid because she's like, something happened. I got to tell you about it. You see that changeover, this boldness that comes out of her? I love the transition that happens there. And so let's skip ahead into verse thirty-nine. 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And so he stayed for two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Wow, this lady gets the chance to go and lead these people to Jesus. And do you realize if you kind of read through the scheme of Jesus' story here, like the, the timeline, these people become some of the very first converts to Christianity. And primarily, when you look at the Jesus story, it's like the kind of pure-blood Jews are the first people who get the message. These guys are, are, are as a whole culture, they're an outcast to the Jews. And Jesus is like, I'm for you too. <laughs> I'm for all of you guys. And guess who leads them? It's not some well-spoken preacher, evangelist type. It's not a high-paid missionary organization that's coming in to do medical uh, you know, missions. It's not... It, it was like the lady that nobody really wanted to spend any time with. And she comes in and she's like, Look, I think I found the Messiah. <laughs> you really need to come meet him. And she becomes the first real missionary to non Jewish people. Isn't that cool? That's what God can do with a life. When Jesus moves in and changes us, a woman in a culture where women were not respected, that's. That's the power of Jesus. So look what look what the villagers say. We're going to look at verse 42 now. This is great because this is like just a really long sentence, one sentence. They said to the woman, "We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world." Through this series, I want us to be able to walk away with as many keys as we can to getting unstuck in the various places in our life. Last week, we, we picked up two keys. If you missed that, go listen to the podcast. There's, there's two keys that can help you step forward. And I think that's a really good foundational place. But this week, I think we have at least two more, two that I'm going to mention. You might have some more that you see in the story. At least two more keys. These are things that we see the Samaritan woman doing. And it's also what we see so many other people doing in the Bible and even to this day. And so the first key, um, I'm going to borrow some language from another story in the Bible, a really kind of short, quick story, uh, because we see these other two guys in the Bible who are also stuck, and I'm going to borrow some of their language, because what happened for them also happened for the Samaritan woman. This is in Acts chapter 4, so if you want to flip over there, you can. even the screen behind me, but here's the background. Uh, these two guys, uh, this is Peter and John. Peter and John were preaching Jesus's name in Jerusalem, and this, this lame guy comes up to them, and because they're filled with God's Holy Spirit, they actually do a miracle, and they heal the guy, and it's like, whoa, this guy's healed. It's a miracle, and then the Jewish leadership comes down and said, we told you not to preach the name of Jesus in here. What are you doing? We healed this guy. Really? And like, people knew this guy. So like, right, well, he really is healed. Well, well, go to jail. We'll deal with you later. So they go to jail. And then like, I think it's like the next day or really shortly after that, the Jewish council is meeting and they're like, what do we do with these guys? Um, because like, they actually did heal the guy. Like we told them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, but we can't deny that the guy... Got healed. So what do we do with these guys? So this is the this is the kind of appraisal of the committee there. Acts chapter four, verse thirteen is the verse. Verse thirteen. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed was just standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I, I'd love that because it's like. That's what God does. All right, call me names, do what you want to me, but deny that God's moving in my life because that's happening for me. So that's, that's what goes on. So um, that's the story. And so here's the language I want to borrow from that for our first key. The first key to freedom when you're stuck, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. I just realized I forgot to put it on the screen, so you're going to have to actually write this down. Spend time with Jesus. They said, I see that these are ordinary, untrained men, but man, I can tell they've been with Jesus. And I'm not just blowing smoke here either. Uh, If you know me, some of you are pretty close to me and we've become good friends. And you know that I'm a screw up and that I've messed up in my life. And there's not, there are times all the time where I'm like, I don't have answers. I don't know what to do. And so God has given me this ability, this, this like opportunity to share his word from the stage every week. And I can't tell you how often I'm like, surely someone else could come up here and do this because I don't feel worthy. And I can tell you from a place of a person who has been stuck more times than I know how to count, that when I get in that situation and I remember who Jesus is, and I'm like, I need to spend time with Jesus. And I get into his word, and I start to pray and talk to him, and I spend time with people talking about him. And I look at other people's lives and see what Jesus is doing in their life, and I'm reminded, whatever I'm stuck in, Jesus is more powerful than that. And I can get through it. And so I'm not just saying this because it's a cool thing to say. I'm telling you, in my own life, my experience has been when I am stuck the most, I realize it's probably because I've stopped spending time with Jesus. And you know how you can do that? One really easy way is to spend time with His people. Coming to church on Sunday is a great way to do that. Being a part of a small group is a great way to do that. The question is, what does this mean for you? What can you do? Maybe you just need to give church a try. Maybe this is your first time here, or second, third time, and you're like... Okay, I'm thinking about like, keep coming. Just keep coming and put yourself into community with people and figure out what happens in their life when they spend time with Jesus. And then you'll learn more about what that means. It might mean for you that you need to get serious about learning who Jesus is. Uh, in a couple of weeks, April 29th, we're offering a four-week class. I want to invite all of you. Uh, this is a class called Venture Basics. We haven't offered it in, I think, over a year. And the goal of this class is to spend four weeks together. So on a Sunday afternoon, I think 530 to 7, it's on the little card in your packet in your seats. But, uh, and the whole idea of this class is to discover answers to the question, or as much as we can, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is the Bible, and is it reliable? And what does it mean to live as a Christian? And so I think so often, especially those of us who've been in Christianity for a long time, we're like, I'm good. I'm good. I learned Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so when I was a little kid. I don't need to take any more steps in my faith. You are incorrect, sir and ma'am. You need to take more steps in your faith, and this is an opportunity that's free, and you can do a church family. So normally, you know, with 10, 15 people in that class, and it's a blast. I encourage you to sign up. It's a little table in the lobby there, and maybe you just need to learn. What does it mean? Okay, I want to spend time with Jesus, but what does that mean? Come do that with us. Maybe you need to commit your life to Jesus for the first time. We had a couple people go down to the ocean and get baptized on Easter Sunday. That was fantastic. When we decide that we want to make Jesus our king, we want to live for him, we make a couple of different steps. One is that we just proclaim that with our life. We're like, hey, I'm, I'm in. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian. And then the Bible teaches us that when we've decided to do that, we take the step and get baptized, immersed into water. And that in this whole uh, s- you know, scenario, God gives us forgiveness for our sins and the gift of his Holy Spirit in our life. This is a big deal. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Whatever it is, my question is, are you thinking about it? And what does it mean? So that's the first key, spend time with Jesus. Second key, it's so practical. Uh, Anyone can do it. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be able to tell funny stories or look up silly memes on the internet to show on a screen. Uh, You don't have to be able to do any of this to do what this lady does to get unstuck. Once this lady realized who Jesus was and, and, and what he could do for her, she had to tell someone. But what do you say? You ever have that thought? How am I going to talk about my faith? Like, I don't know a lot of stuff. I haven't read a lot of, like, theology books. I haven't been to seminary. Like, what do I do? This lady gives the best seminar on how to talk about your faith, as anybody's ever done. And, and this is our second key. I'm just going to give it to you. The second key is this. Tell your story. That's all she did. She had a bunch of questions about how do I worship you correctly, and Jesus gives her this answer that I'm going to tell you. She did not understand, because I preached, like, five sermons on it, and I'm still not sure I understand it, what he tells her, but... She doesn't have all the answers, but what she knows is I've discovered the Messiah, a connection with God and the way to get good with him and live my life. Personal testimony is more valuable than a PhD when it comes to telling somebody else about God. you know the phrase, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's, that's the deal. And and is it real to you? And can you tell the story of what God's doing in your life from a, 250 years, people have found so much peace in such a simple poem known as the song Amazing Grace. You know what the song Amazing Grace is? It's a testimony. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And it goes on and on to tell the story of what happened in this guy's life. And the story behind the story is even more incredible. The point is, that song moves people. Why? It's just telling the story. What has God done in your life? Telling your story can also be therapeutic. It can help people who are going through the things uh, that you're going through. It can also help you. I mean, I've been in therapy. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Hopefully, you have too. We all need it. Um, but you know what you do when you're in therapy, whether it's with your friend on the phone or you're just venting on Facebook? You know what you're doing? You're just telling your story. (laughs) You're talking about what's going on in your life. And as you talk it out, it begins to bring the pieces together. Tell your story. If you want to get unstuck, talk about what God's done in your life. Maybe god you don't see God in your life. Talk about that. I believe God can work in it. What is causing you to be stuck? I love this, uh, this question. Does it work to tell your story? Well, let's look at what the Samaritan woman does. She goes and tells her story. And the verse, I don't know the verse number, but near the end of the story there, it said, many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So tell your story. But then something amazing happens. You see the second half of that verse. They say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And so many of us, in fact, I would wager almost 100% of us in this room are here because of what we're seeing for ourselves now. It works. It moves us forward from wherever we're stuck. And so whatever is causing you to be stuck in your faith, stuck in your relationship, stuck in your life, is it possible that like the Samaritan woman, all you need to do is spend some time with Jesus and all you need to do is tell your story and trust in God's spirit and presence in your life to begin moving you out of that? I think that's absolutely true. It's worked for me. It's worked for so many people that I know. Um, And here's the beautiful thing. The same thing that Jesus offered her at that well is the same thing that he offers us today. Do you remember what he said he could give that nothing, nothing else could give? Living water. We're thirsty. We are thirsty for truth. We are thirsty for answers. We are thirsty for God in our lives. And Jesus says, I got that. You turn to me. And I will give you a living water, a life inside of you that nothing can dampen, that nothing can shut off. Come get it from me. Jesus is the key. Um, Through Jesus, we can move past our past. Uh, We can leave shame behind. We can find forgiveness. We can find next steps. We can find peace, even in our loneliness. If what I said about that to you today strikes a chord. Lean into Jesus. And even better... We find purpose for our story. And that's keys to getting unstuck. Let's pray this morning. God, you're so good. And we praise you in the midst of our storms and our mess and our pain as you give us just uh, hope for a brighter tomorrow. And um, Lord, I know that we're all on different pages in this room and we come from different faith backgrounds. And, um, but Lord, I thank you that you unite us in, under one thing, which is your name, the name of Jesus. I pray that as we move forward this morning, You help us recognize the areas where we're hurting and where we're stuck and give us the boldness like Peter and John to just spend time with you and then stand up against whatever's facing us and say, no, no, we're still going to, we're still going to stand on the truth of Jesus and his love. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.